Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across the country, wherever you are. It is The Breakfast Show, as I mentioned before, and once again, it's it's me, Liam. I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to be jumping in here and there throughout the show this morning. And look, it's it's great to be with you. Um, it's 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 great to, to be on holidays. You know, the Christmas break was wonderful, and we're going to continue on with that. It's uh, it, it's a really fun time. And just like yesterday, we've got another great show of, of some of our favourite moments from the year lined up for you. Uh, we've got we've got Angela coming back. Uh, we're, we're going back to August, and we've got a, a fantastic couple of Encounter with Gods that we did with Angela. And we've also got uh, an interview with Brenton Lowe. Uh, he is the uh, Literature Evangelism Director for both Australia and New Zealand. So it'll be good to both hear about what he does and also hear a little bit of, uh, of his own personal testimony. So that'll be great to, to have there. Um, so yeah, it's really great to be with you again. And like I said, I'm going to be in and out throughout the show. But yeah, just uh, it's, it's great to be with you. We're going to go to a quick song and we'll be back. And when we come back... It will be, we'll have Lyle and Angela will be kicking off the first part of the encounter with God this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. Heaven and nature sing, heaven and nature sing. Guys, it is Encounter with God time here on Faith FM. That means that we're about to get into our Bible study, which is going to be super exciting because we have an amazing passage of the Bible that we're going to be looking at while we are getting ready for our Bible study. You can be turning, if you are not on the road um, or not in a workshop, you can be turning to Acts chapter 26. We have a fantastic chapter right here. That is going to be the subject of our Bible study today. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. And why don't we just start at the beginning, Angela? We'll just start reading some verses. All right. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear my, me patiently. 
My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. We've got a bunch of verses here that we can spend a little bit of time considering as this story kind of sets itself up. So Paul is standing before uh, King Agrippa at this particular point, and Agrippa is somebody who does definitely know a lot about the Jews. He is an expert on Judaism. Uh, as an expert on Judaism, he understands exactly what Paul is saying when Paul says that he is a Pharisee. What was the key? Any idea, Angela, what was the key difference that differentiated the Pharisee from the Sadducee? Putting her on the spot here now. Yeah, he loves to do this to me. Yeah, <laughs> Pharisees and Sadducees, one massive difference between the two of them. And that was the question of the, the, resurre- <laughs> the resurrection. Oh, yes. The resurrection. So Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection and Pharisees do. And so Paul is raised and trained and taught and educated as a Pharisee. So he's somebody who believes in the resurrection of the dead. And these were kind of the majority. Uh, The majority of Jews at that particular time would have been classed as being Pharisees, people who believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so he's talking to Agrippa who understands Jews, who understands Judaism, and he says, you know, particularly for here in verse 8, why would it be thought a thing incredible to you that God should raise the dead? You know, why would you find that surprising? He says, he says basically, I'm being held here a prisoner because he is a prisoner at this particular time because I'm accused of preaching the resurrection of the dead. In other words, I'm accused of being a Pharisee and believing what the Pharisees actually believe. Their key doctrine is the resurrection of the dead. I stand by that doctrine, and uh, I have been imprisoned for that doctrine. Um, and you know, and, he, and he's pointing out, you know, I guess the the contradiction that there is when you have a group of people who are almost ready to give their life for. You know, believing that the dead are resurrected and they'll take down every Sadducee that they can find, and then they have somebody who turns up and says, "Yes, the dead can be resurrected." Why is he not being acclaimed as a hero? Why is he not being made central to their beliefs and practices and customs? Why is he being imprisoned? Well, it's because he connects it to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth did lots of things that were very threatening to the Pharisees. Well, he was very much bold in standing against the customs. He was trying to break every bias that they had against other people of other nations, of the way they treated the sick, the lame among them. He was always trying to break the biases and show them that he loved all. Okay, so then they hate Jesus because of all the good things he did? Unfortunately. And stood for and said? Unfortunately, but it wasn't so much that it was good. It was the fact that it pointed out where they were missing the mark. And no one likes that. And so Jesus is a constant reminder to them of where they're not choosing to follow the law. But yet they have followed the law to this letter, but the basic principle and the foundation of the law they've completely missed. Yeah, because the foundation of the law is love. Exactly. And they completely miss love. I mean, they treat other nations and other people like dirt. Um, they, they, they make themselves an exclusive race. They you know, claim to be the only ones that have any kind of salvation and that, you know, and to the point where they won't eat with a Gentile, they won't go under the same roof with a Gentile, they won't, associate, they won't touch a Gentile. Well, it's very human nature to be exclusive. It's like in that exclusivity, we become something. And unless we have that exclusivity, then we feel like we're just, just moving along. And it's when we can be like, oh, I'm distinct, I'm special, that unfortunately that's where we get a lot of our self-confidence from. And that's where... And our self-identity. Is. Yes. Yeah, which is really important to... You know, good mental health. So, 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 shouldn't we have? I mean, if we, if we, shouldn't we have a good sense of our identity and our specialness? Definitely, but our identity is in Christ. 
He's the one who gives an incredible identity more than any famous book that I write or any great song that I sing or any great accomplishment that I physically attain is my identity in Christ. Absolutely. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so this is what Paul is being judged for is because he is preaching the resurrection and he's like, you know, why, why, would, it, why would this be incredible to you that I'm preaching the resurrection? You know, uh, you, you understand what Pharisees believe and teach. Why would you be surprised that I preach the resurrection? But then he goes on to tell his story, and his story is quite interesting. Um, and he begins by telling his story. In verse 10, what is it that Paul is actually doing? Oh, he was definitely proudly going against those who stood for Jesus. Yeah, he's become a prosecutor. Yeah. He is practicing the role of chief prosecutor for the Jewish nation. He begins at Jerusalem and he tells the story about how while he was at Jerusalem, he rounded up, you know, pretty much as many and all Christians as he possibly could to throw them in jail, to pass them off for execution, tremendous persecution right there. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's read about that in verse 11. Did we read verse 11 yet? No. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Okay, so if you are in Israel today, if you go to Jerusalem, and you're going to go to Damascus, that's a long way. It is quite a journey. You have to pass through two countries to get there. You know, that's a significant journey, and that is how far Paul is prepared to go to, you know, to wipe out Christianity. He's going to leave no stone unturned. And Christianity, of course, is being spread by his persecution. So now he has to spread himself. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, so let's read about this in verse 12 and 13. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Okay, so this is the famous Damascus Road experience. And when you read about the Damascus Road experience, I think that a lot of us sort of think, yeah, wow, I wish God would do something like that for me. Mm. And often when I, re- I meet people who are atheists and they're like, well, you know, God, if he wanted me to be saved, could very easily save me because he could just, you know, do something like he did to Paul. So why does God do this to Paul? You know, and not to your average atheist out there on the street. Because he knew Paul's heart and Paul's heart was earnestly, um, I believe, wanting to do the right thing. He was so passionate because he thought it was the right thing. Um, and so God can see the heart and like, remember how we brought up the example yesterday of the Pharisees who saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. That wasn't good enough for them. So it's very possible that even if God did shine a light like this on an atheist, like Richard Dawkins, let's take for example, you know, somebody that is such a voice, like Paul became such a voice. Um, he probably, unfortunately, I can't judge, but may not even acknowledge that, no, even if it was an incredible light in a voice from heaven. I think this is a really good point because if we compare uh, Richard Dawkins with the Apostle Paul, there are a tremendous amount of similarities. They are both very, very strident in their criticism of Christianity. Um, one obviously is a religious person, the other a non-religious person. And really it comes down to what's in their heart because if I look at some of my friends who are atheists, if they were to have a Damascus Road experience, they would be incredibly disappointed. Hmm. They'd be gutted. It would be devastating for them because now any possibility of doubt to the existence of God would be removed and now they would know that they had a moral obligation to serve God because God was actually real and God had appealed, appeared to them in a very real way and they wouldn't have any choice in the matter. You know, their, their, their power of choice had, would, would be removed and their opportunity to live a life of immorality would be gone. And that would be devastating for them. Unfortunately, yeah, we are very sucked in by the world. It's so sad, it's, but it happens to all of us. 
all of us think that this world is truly incredible and its things to offer are greater than the things of heaven. And we have a hard time identifying that there could be something better than what we're experiencing right now. And and the reality is that the opposite is actually, you, you know, the, um, the case in that, you know, while the world looks so good, the world is, is just, it, it has it has nothing to offer. And if we come back to our example of, you know, how somebody who is a devout atheist would be devastated by this, what you find is that Paul was not. No. While you and I probably have a number of friends that we could say, yes, if God wrote in letters of fire across the skies, I am God, you must serve me, and they could not find any reasonable, logical, rational way around it, and they were forced to accept God, they would do so begrudgingly, whereas for Paul, this was a life-changing experience. Oh, he was completely humbled and distraught. He yes. was completely destroyed internally that he could have done something against God. It absolutely devastated him. So, so, so both of these scenarios, you can see people being devastated, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So we have friends, and of course we can't judge the heart. We don't know. But everybody has friends who are, you know, most, uh, everybody has friends who are atheists. And uh, because we can't judge the heart, we don't know. But let's say that we you know, are correct in our assumption that these people uh, would be devastated by finding by being by God being proven to be real, they would be devastated because they would no longer have the opportunity to live an immoral life. Paul was devastated because he had been fighting against God. Mm-hmm. Very, very different experience that we've got happening right here. Okay, let's keep reading verse uh, let's read verse four. I think we're verse 15, 13. Uh, I think I'm on 14. Okay. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And oh, he said, I need to stop and then to stop. Sorry. Mm. What's a goad? Um, something hard. <laughs> okay, a goad. Let me explain a goad. This is, this is old English right here. We have... A modern version of a goad. You can buy a goad today. It's called a cattle prod. Oh, okay. And so back in the day, it was called an ox goad. And basically, the way a cattle prod works today has two um, two pins that come out the end, and electrical current goes between the two. Kind of like a little bit like a taser. So you uh, want to control your cattle, you give them a bit of a, a bit of a, a jolt in the rump, and off they go. Ouch. It uh, works wonders. I don't like it. <laughs> okay. But the goad was kind of like a spear. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to move your cattle, what you do is you jab him in the butt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the cattle prod that we have today is a lot more humane than the old version of using a pitchfork or a spear or something like that to actually... Um, but this is what you can imagine kicking against, you know, you're going to go and kick against a taser. So this is the, in today's language, kicking against a taser. Like, yeah, there's a taser over there. I'm going to go and start kicking it. It sounds like um, it might not work out so well. It's going to be lots of pain. <laughs> and it's kind of like for Paul, he kicks the taser and gets flattened and he just keeps going back and kicking it and kicking it and kicking it and it flattens him every time. And then eventually Jesus is like, why do you keep kicking the taser? Hmm. You know, that's the modern language of what we're talking about right here. Hmm. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. That must have been gut-wrenching. Wow. I think now he got leveled by the taser. <laughs> yeah, now he's really been, he hasn't just been given a jolt, he's been absolutely flattened. All right, let's read the, uh, um, the through verse 18. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay, so what is the commission that Jesus gives to Paul at this particular point? To go to the Gentiles, to go to anyone who's not a Jew. To go to the Gentiles, and when he goes to the Gentiles, what is he to share when he gets there? Um, The fact that 
they may receive forgiveness from their sins and they have an inheritance waiting for them. And what's interesting is that with the Apostle Paul, um, we have him doing this on a number of occasions in the Bible through his testimony. Hmm. I think Paul shares his personal testimony more than anybody else in the Bible. This is a recurring theme. And when Paul is given the opportunity to present the Word of God, it's kind of like it's almost like his default. So he's hauled in there before Agrippa, and Agrippa is uh, placing him on trial. And he's like, okay, you know, I'm a Pharisee. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, you know, it's no struggle for me to believe in Jesus Christ who's been raised from the dead. And by the way, I met Jesus Christ after he was raised from the dead. And this is how it happened. Yeah. You know, Paul can definitely spin his theology, but it's interesting how much he loves to share his experience, his testimony. Yes. Yes. And so you find that, you know, when Paul goes to Athens, for instance, and he is amongst the great intellectuals, he's intellectual. But here, he just shares his testimony. All right. This is uh, Enfield with Who Is He in Yonder Storm?
That was Enfield with Who Is He in Yonder Stool. We're looking at Paul sharing his testimony here uh, before Agrippa. And uh, this is a recurring theme with Paul. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. We have had here Paul share his personal uh, testimony. Uh, Let's just sort of finish out a few more of these verses, starting in verse 19, please, Angela. All right. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Okay, so that kind of summarizes or finishes up the uh, the story that we have here of Paul sharing his personal testimony before King Agrippa. Now, you pointed out something very interesting during the song break that I think is worth sharing with our listeners. What? And that is that a lot of what Jesus does, he ties to things in nature so they are a continual reminder to us. How does that actually work? Give us some examples of this. Yeah, so I love nature, and I have found that I feel, excuse me, that I have had many Saul experiences and the fact that God speaks to me through nature. So, for example, in this story, um, God uses the bright light, right, to remind him. And then he, in his commission, in verse 18, asks him to show the Gentiles from darkness to light. So, therefore, every time Paul feels the ray of the sunshine, he the bright light. He couldn't help but think about the commission he was given and the promise he was given and the chance to do it right this time. Think about the woman at the well. Jesus chose something that literally this woman is going to be dependent on for the rest of her life. She'll never not need water, which means every time, whether it's that well or another well, there's no way that she can't relive, smell, taste, hear the experience of when Jesus talked to her. Or think about Nicodemus and the, and the wind, right? Every time he feels a breeze, he can't help but think about Jesus' analogy of the new birth and the Holy Spirit in his life. And I think that's incredible. So for me, every time I see a tree, every time I see a bird or a cloud, I try to relate it to some promise so I can be constantly thinking about God. Okay, spoken like a like a true school teacher right there. Go, Angela. I think that's I think that's fantastic observation um, of something that is taking place here. Okay, so we need to move on in our Bible study. Let's go over to First uh, John chapter one, verse one to four. And I understand that when you're running mission trips, this is a passage that is kind of special to you in mission trips. Angela, how does that actually work? Yeah, so um, I lead um, the young adult trip for the organization Maranatha which builds um, churches and schools around the world. And I lead the worships morning and evening. And I always open with this one because too often we struggle and we wonder what, what do we share about Jesus? I don't know my Bible. I can't do Daniel. I can't do Revelation. How do I share? I can't share my faith. I, you know, I don't know how to share Jesus. And I don't have, some of us don't have the big Paul conversions. I didn't do something big and bad in my life and then God do this big 180 turn. And so I always start with this because I want them to realize that God has done work in their life before we continue on in the mission trip. So First John 1, 1 to 4 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now there's so much in here to unpack, but Basically, what I long for people to understand is that Jesus wants you to share what you have seen with your own eyes, what you've looked upon and what your hands have handled. I mean, as a teacher, that's such a textile experience, right? (laughs) It's a kinesthetic, full body experience, what you yourself have touched. I mean, how often have you come out of a sermon or a church being like, oh, I've touched the word of God, right? But God wants you to have this full body experience where you smell, you taste, you're touching, you're seeing, and this is what you're sharing. There's no way that Paul couldn't have remembered how it felt when he was on the ground, when he was being told, you know, by God, he felt the dirt in the sand. Um, He felt the warmth of the light or the brightness of the light, you know? Um, And so I think that it's so important that we realize that God just wants us to share what we have experienced. And we've all experienced something. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Um, really appreciate what you shared right there. Now, one of the things that I wanted to to, um, to just hone in for a moment on on for a moment. You talked about you know the big experience that Paul had, and we often compare our experience to Paul's experience, and we're like, well, you know, I look at my testimony, my testimony, you know, because the Bible says in you know First John first four verses right there to share what we have experienced, what we have uh, touched and felt, and um, and what God has done in our lives, but you know, I just don't have that big experience that Paul had, where he was, you know, one of the worst of the worst, and then became one of the best of the best, and he met Jesus and had a Damascus Road experience, and yet, I think that it is very much a part of human nature that we all look at our own testimony that way, hmm. because, and here's a thought that will blow your mind: <laughs> Paul looked at his testimony that way. It wasn't even that. even though Paul often shared his testimony, you look at the last um, few chapters of Second Corinthians. It's Paul, all about Paul defending his apostleship, hmm. because he felt that nobody looks at me as a real apostle because I don't have this great testimony that Peter and James and John and the others have. Hmm. I didn't spend three and a half years with Jesus. I spent thirty seconds with Jesus, maybe less. You know, that's so interesting. That is so interesting because we are so quick to compare. And people give these huge testimonies at church about how they were drinking or in drugs and um, all these terrible situations. And we're like, oh, I, I, I don't have a testimony. And here is Paul, someone that the world puts on a pedestal, and he himself doesn't even realize that he has an incredible testimony and he thinks he's less superior than the disciples when there are so many of us who always think we're less superior. And that's why I encourage on my mission trips for everyone the first Saturday night to share their testimonies because each one of us have a testimony. A testimony just means God is working in your life, period. I can share this from my own experience. For years, I did not believe I had a testimony. And the reason I didn't believe I had a testimony was that every time I heard a testimony, it was somebody who would get up in church and share a story of how far from God they were, mm. of how steeped in sin they were, and of the dramatic change that had taken place in their life as a result of them giving their life to Jesus Christ. And then I was doing a course one time, and a part of that course was a requirement to write out your testimony. I think it was like 1,500 words or something or other. And so I wrote my testimony down for the first time. And when I wrote it down, I suddenly realized, you know what? I've got a testimony. Amen. <laughs> and I'd been in ministry for like 10 years by this point. And 10 years of ministry, and I never knew I had a testimony. And then when I wrote it down, I was like, I have a testimony. God has done amazing <laughs> things in my life. I can't believe this. This is a, an amazing story to share. And I don't have a story of having been out there in the big bad world doing big bad things. But what I found is that the most powerful testimony is the person whose life has been guided by God mm -hmm. and hasn't had to have those bad experiences to be able to discover that God is good. And so we find here, um, and oh, so much we could talk about, and I always run out of time. These people are sharing their testimony, but not just their testimony. It is a living testimony that they are experiencing every day of their lives. It continues as they grow in God's incredible grace. Let's listen to Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go.
guys, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we've got a, a wonderful interview, one of our favourite interviews from our, uh, our year this year in on Faith FM. It is with Brenton Lowe. Now, he is the, evangel- the Literature Evangelism Director for Australia and New Zealand. And Lyle and Lawson, we're going to be talking to him a little bit uh, about his journey and about what he does. But I'm going to leave that to, for them to talk about. So, uh, yeah, over to you guys. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Joining us in the studio this morning is Brendan Lowe. Brendan, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Yeah, can you just come in right close to that there microphone? Thank you. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Now, Brendan uh, is in charge of literature evangelism in Australia oh, wow. and New Zealand. So that's a pretty significant job. Uh, very quickly, what what do literature evangelists do? Okay, literature evangelists do a variety of things, and there's actually five different ways that they can work. Uh, there is, uh, I believe, every Christian should be a literature evangelist. Okay, yes. And, wow. you know, they can share literature, particularly now with churches closed. What can Christians do? And every church member, every believer can share their faith uh, in their neighborhood when they exercise. Uh, they can give a gift to their neighbor. But what mm. do literature evangelists do? Literature evangelists, um, they can go house to house. They can go through networks, uh, work through networks, and, and they can uh, sell uh, literature that transforms lives, literature that brings health and wellness and also hope. And when we look around at the moment, uh, some of the key words, search words, are actually um, health and wellness uh, on the internet and also prophecy. So people are looking for health and hope. Health and answers right there. This is very significant because, I mean, we're in the middle of COVID right now, and, of course, that makes health incredibly relevant. It makes the material that you're selling from a health perspective even more relevant because it has been conclusively proven over and over and over again that people that are surviving COVID are people with strong immune systems, Mm -hmm. and a strong immune system is created by your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it is that simple. That's right. And so there is so much that can be done. And your material that you're taking out to the community is so relevant because of COVID and how it can improve um, improve people's health. Now, I have a question here. Uh, a lot of your literature evangelists, the, well, the ones who do this to make a living. So as you say, we can all be literature evangelists because we can all go out to our community and share literature. But what about those who do it as a living? They are selling books door-to-door. So these are, these are significant volumes. Why go door-to-door when bookshops exist? Very good question. Um, but when you look around, there's actually becoming quite a book desert mm. in a sense uh-huh. that you can go to many towns now. There is no bookshop. Yes, particularly a Christian bookshop. Yes. And, and so this is a unique opportunity where self-employed literature evangelists or independent book distributors can go to many towns where there is, this is not available, but pe- people still like something tangible that they can hold and read and something that doesn't have the distractions flicking across the screen. And something that doesn't have ads popping up and then something that doesn't go flat halfway through the chapter and switch off and something that doesn't give you that terrible light in your eyes that then gives you uh, bad sleep all night long. Exactly. It's good to turn off from work. And, and also another really important thing that parents, thinking parents are, are realising is that there is a space in the kid's bedroom we need to keep the devices out of. And so they are actually seeing the, the value of having books so they can keep the children reading and with literature where they can sit back and relax, a safe place they can disconnect in their bedroom. That's a really good point because mm. we have recognised that devices in bedrooms for children are a terrible idea just across the board. So what do you replace them with? The kid goes there and like, oh, I'm bored. What am I going to do? Well, there's this really cool invention that you might not have heard of, <laughs> but it has actually been around for a while now, and that is called books. That's mm. right. And we've also seen research, um, Darren Pratt was presenting research here the other day, how that the most significant thing that you can do for your child as far as their education goes is to read to them while they're young. Yeah. Books are amazing. 
All right. And of course, right now, if you look outside, it is miserable, it is cold, it is raining, it is a as, as wintry a day as you will ever get. Is there anything better than curling up in front of the fireplace or the heater? But let's go with the fireplace because it's just going to give you that mental image that's amazing. Curling up in front of the fireplace, a blanket, uh, listening to the rain drumming on the metal roof and reading a book. Exactly. I mean, mm. you just can't get anything better than that, can you? Mm-hmm. All right, so you've got these, uh, you've, you've, you run a team of, uh, of LEs uh, that, you know, they go around um, door-to-door selling books because, as you say, bookshops really don't exist anymore. Christian, books off, Christian bookshops are even rarer than, uh, than just any kind of bookstores. Um, but let's talk about a few specific books here. You've got, you know, things like Cooling Down Stress, uh, Foods as Medicine, Bible Stories. What, what, what are these? Can you share a few of these books with us? We want to hear about some of the things that you actually take out to the community. Yeah, sure. There's a new one that's actually been around for, for a few years, but it's just been um, re, re-updated and reprinted. And, and that's called uh, Cooling Down Teen Stress. So that's exciting. This is a really important book because if you look at the statistics in Australia and New Zealand, our highest number one killer for teens today is teen stress and suicide. Mm. Yeah, wow. And the same author, um, he deals with um, you know, a girl's story and strategies to cope. You know, it could save a life. Mm. And the same author has put no, these together... Books are, I'd say these books are saving a lot of lives. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to quantify how many because we only keep statistics on those lives that we don't save. Exactly. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. So the same author has just put out a brand new edition for adults, and it's called Cooling Down Stress. And, and that's about dealing with cooling down the soup, and there's a lot of people with COVID, with the coronavirus um, around and often just put on their media in, fa- in front of our faces and having to cope with an everyday lives a suffering stress so this is something really topical and something that can really help people another one is uh foods as medicine yes and this as m- many of us already know has won a number of awards it's a powerful book and so much more relevant today because they recognize that plant-based diets can help boost our immune system mm. And so this is healthy recipes that not only taste great but are good for us. I really appreciate both of these ones that you're sharing right now. Uh, the second one is an obvious one because of COVID. If COVID is floating around in the community, then you need to be eating healthy and you're never going to stay eating healthy if the food is disgusting. Exactly. You, know, you go to a plant-based diet and like, yeah, what I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat uh, kale all day. No, that's not going to work. <laughs> hey, uh, that's just not a bad thing. Come on, <laughs> kale is nice. You just have to put dressing on it, <laughs> but not but not all day. Um, you will only stick at a at a, at a uh, lifestyle change mm. if the food is good. Yes, and as you say, food is medicine. Awards from around the world, the food is good. And I just want to say, you know, if you're listening in today and you have a teenager who is stressed, mm. don't take that lightly, um, Lawson. I know you've been there in the past. And don't don't just assume that oh you know they'll grow out of it or whatever, because the reality here in Australia is very very different from that, and that's actually very very dangerous. And of course, maybe you are suffering from stress today. So mm. um, yeah, so Breton, these are some good books here. Uh, tell us about um, oh, there's so many good ones here. Uh, okay, before we go there, we've got listeners who are listening in, and they are going yes. I have a teen who is stressed, or they're saying, "Yes, I have a. You know, I'm stressed myself, or I need to clean up my lifestyle." So we've got listeners right now. I know that are thinking that. How do they go about accessing these books? If you or one of your team doesn't come and knock on their door, is there a way that they can still uh, get these books, or get you guys to come around and to uh, and to sell the book? I mean, we can do this door to door these days. That's one of the things that. Um, it's great about uh, uh, this kind of service during COVID is that you can still go out into the community and you know you get you get you get your groceries delivered. You can get your books delivered as well. Sure, yeah, sure. And and it's important when we're working in the community that we do it safe. And so we encourage those people that are working that they actually go um, check out their with their um, 
state government advice and put yes. together a COVID safe plan. So we're keeping each, each, everyone, the people in the community and themselves safe. Mm. Yes. Um, and just follow that government advice. Um, and yeah. I've had a bunch of couriers come to my door during yeah. COVID, and they all they all keep their distance. They've all got their, um, you know, their, their hand washing stuff. All, you know, all that That's right, of. and the pizza man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah shout out to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Okay, so your question was, um, how can they get them? Um, well, look, there's there's a, a great website. It's called livingwellresources.tv, where you can go on there and you can um, you can purchase on there. But if you just like that personal contact, a lot of people are feeling disconnected and alone. If you can just um, contact, um, there is a contact place there, contact us through that website as well. So that's livingwellresources.tv. Cool. Okay, livingwellresources.tv. Head over there right now, cooling down teen stress, cooling down your stress, foods as medicine. Let's talk about the Bible stories, stories for a moment. Are these the Arthur Maxwell se- series? Yes, they are. How long? Okay, okay. How long have these been around for now? That's a good question. You know, because I, I, I grew up with them. My my father grew up with them, and okay. I grew up reading the set that he had when he was a kid. My kids grew up with that same set, and I've now passed it on to them. That'll go on to my grandchildren. Wow. So this is this is what you've got here. This is what uh, my father, myself, my children, and they're still going to go definitely to my grandchildren. That's four generations. That is. A four lifetime investment right there. Yeah, wow. Well. So you're talking about really high quality books. And of course, Bible stories never go out of date. Exactly. Mm. They're classics. They've been around, you know, for many years, but these have just been updated. Same stories. Um, well, just updated over the last few years. Same stories, but um, just nicer done and mm. same pictures. I grew up with them, and I love reading them to my kids. It brings back the memories, you know, and and the good values that they teach, like honesty and trust, um, but also a faith in God and those stories mm. of faith. This is the thing I love about Bible stories: is that the Bible stories never go out of date. Neither do the pictures. True. You know, because you, you do a picture of uh, modern society and in 10 years' time, people look back and go, oh, that was very, you know, um, 2000s or Cringe. 1990s. <laughs> Whereas when it comes to Bible stories, like, yep, that's definitely first century AD and that's never going to change. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so um, that's an investment that you can make for your family for at least the next five generations. Exactly. Uh, and I can testify to that myself. Uh, these are simply the greatest set of Bible stories that were ever written uh, for children that I have ever seen anywhere in the world, and I am a book collector, so I think I'm very well qualified to speak on that subject. Uh, then you've got uh, Live More Happy, uh, The Great Hope, Steps to Christ. These are books that we sometimes give away here on The Breakfast Show. Um, those and so much more. Brendan, we hardly got a chance to talk about all of the things that I wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll have to uh, get you back in sometime, but right now, there's Linda Shelton with It's All About God. Moses led God's people to the sea. Pharaoh's army followed fervently When he raised the rod There was a move of God It's a glory of the story The day the Red Sea moved Oh, it's not about me It's not about you Not about what we say and do It's the glory of a story, the day the world. 